So we have been focusing um, on our Christmas series and on the names of God found in Isaiah 9-6. And each week we are looking at this verse. I almost imagine it kind of like a, a multifaceted diamond or gem where there's, it's just one verse, but there's so much to unpack in it. And so each week we've been talking about a different name of God. We started out with talking about the Wonderful Counselor. Last week we looked into Mighty God. And this week we're going to look at Everlasting Father. So let's look at Isaiah 9-6. It says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now today, the takeaway thing that I want you to remember, um, the thing that I want you to repeat to yourself or to others this week, sometimes people say, how was church? Was it good? And you say, it was good. And you, you know it was good, but you can't really remember what it was about. I'm going to give you the one line that you can explain to yourself and to others this week when you say, what was church about this past week? And the one thing I want you to remember is this, that the everlasting father can rewrite any story. That the everlasting father can rewrite any story. And that's your takeaway from this, this week. So when Isaiah said those words, when he prophesied those words in that day, I, I asked myself this week, what did the people associate with the name father? What was it that when they heard, okay, the new Messiah will be an everlasting father, what, what, did, what came to mind when he said father. And I think that that term looked very different than what often comes to our mind today. And I started just doing a little bit of research. And the statistics are that one in three, one in three children in America don't have a father in their home. One in three. That marriage and fatherhood is getting less and less important to the coming generations, and it's causing this huge gap in our society. And the statistics are heart-stopping. I mean, when I started looking into it, they're actually beginning to call the upcoming young people behind us the fatherless generation. Because so many of them are growing up that it just almost seems normal that there isn't a father in their home. 90% of all homeless children are from fatherless homes. 70% of all high school dropouts have no father present. 85% of all youth in prison didn't have a father growing up in their home. I mean, I could go on and on, but this idea of fatherlessness that is so common to us now in our culture is the thing that is linked to a lot of these really just, just heart-aching statistics. And I was thinking about, for many of you in this room, Perhaps your father um, was present. Maybe he was there when you were growing up. Maybe he never left physically, but maybe emotionally he really checked out early on in your childhood. Or maybe for some of you, even some of you who grew up in homes based on faith, uh, maybe a victim of some sort of abuse or pain that your earthly father caused. Maybe you feel rejected or hurt or a lack of connection 
And your identification of God as father doesn't sit very well inside of you because your personal identification of your relationship with your father maybe isn't very good. And so it's difficult to call or understand. That's okay. (laughs) God as father because you have had this personal experience that doesn't match. And when Isaiah the prophet is likening God to a father, I believe that there are very different nuances um, to that role than what we think of today. And the first thing, as I was just sort of looking into what is it that the culture saw as a father, is um, they do talk about in the scripture fatherless people. It talks about that situation. And in Deuteronomy 24, 17 through 22, the fatherless people were described as those who were without protection and without provision. And so the people then, when they heard that, uh, that he's an everlasting father, they would imagine fatherless people that what identifies them is they don't have protection or they don't have provision. And so we can imply that the father in that time was the one who provided for and protected the family. And the apostle Paul writes in Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And that is what Isaiah is saying, is that you have an everlasting father who will provide all that you need. He'll provide all that you need. He he provides words for tough situations. He, He provides guidance when you're backed into a corner and you don't know what to do. He provides comfort in times of heartache. He he provides clothing and food and support that you need. He provides opportunities to make a real difference in your life. He gives you strength when you feel like you can't go on. He, he answers prayers. He provides healings. He rewrites our story. He, he takes pain and he turns it into victory. He takes emptiness and he turns it into purposefulness. Can anyone in the room identify with this? Has God done this for you? The father who provides and protects. Isaiah is saying, yes, Uh, You know a father as someone that provides and protects for a community and makes sure they have everything they need physically, but I'm telling you about an everlasting father that will provide everything you need forever and ever and ever. And not just the food on your table, but the food for your heart, the food for your soul, and the thing that will keep you alive and full of purpose. Our everlasting father provides for every single need. Now, it's interesting, also in that culture, uh, in Isaiah 22, it explains how a king, um, so so a person who is over a people group, is also could be seen or called as a father. And so biologically wasn't always the link. It wasn't always just the person that was, you know, responsible for your birth. It was someone that, that oversees. In fact, a spiritual leader could be the father of a community. Both Elijah and Elisha were referenced in the scripture as a father because people followed them. And they were the the spiritual father, the spiritual leader of the community. So the idea of calling this new Messiah the everlasting father really spoke to the people in a way that they understood. In Israel, what would happen is there would be a good king and things would be going really well. And then there would be a bad king 
And there would be favorites and famine, and some people would be oppressed. And then they would pray and hope for another good king. And maybe there would be a good one, but then there'd be a bad one again. And maybe two bad ones and a good one again. And it was very volatile. They didn't know what they were going to get. Things would change generation to generation. And Isaiah is saying what it, what it means to have an everlasting father is protection and provision forever. Not just until the next bad king shows up. Protection and provision forever. I will be your father and I will provide for you all the time, everywhere, no matter what circumstance that you, that you come up against. And Jesus is called the everlasting father because his love for us never ends. It never wavers. You might recognize in Romans 8, Paul writes about this as well. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No exceptions everlasting. No bad king, no good king, no good season or bad season of your life separates you from the love of Christ. And I really believe that Isaiah is declaring, he's saying the Messiah is going to be the wonderful counselor, the the counselor who has the plan. And, And then he's going to be the mighty God because he has the ability to carry out the plan. And he is the everlasting father, which is what describes the spirit and the attitude that motivates him to carry out the plan. It's the thing that who Jesus is, who the Messiah will be, that he wants to rewrite the story for all of humanity. And because of his spirit and his attitude in that, that is going to allow him to want to to fulfill this plan that he is starting by being born in a manger. The everlasting father is the one who will always bring protection and provision, no matter what king is in power, no matter who appears to be ruling, no matter what we need. And I love how, you know, the scripture, the Old and the New Testament, they work together to help us understand and help us see a broader picture of who God is. And and John adds more to this prophecy in John 14. Follow along on the screen while I read this to you. He says, I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live and you also will live. So John says, you will get a father you, you, you won't be an orphan anymore. And the father will be everlasting because he will live inside of you and he will be an advocate to help you forever. And the people may not have understood this then, but what we know is that Isaiah was prophesying about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah was pointing out that God did what he said he would do He sent us an everlasting father. John is pointing that out. Isaiah is saying an everlasting father is coming. He will be born in a a manger. And, and, And John is saying the everlasting father, the Holy Spirit that lives inside you, makes you not an orphan anymore. 
and he's with you forever. Forever and ever and ever. After you die, he's with you. He'll be with you forever. And he's going to live in there forever. And he, Isaiah is prophesying that Jesus is going to send the Holy Spirit. And John is confirming that. Do you see that connection? And so what he's saying is the everlasting father is alive today. And brings you protection and provision. No matter what the enemy is trying to steal from you right now. He brings protection and provision. And all we have to do is ask God for the advocate, to ask God for the Holy Spirit to be with us forever. And I think even right now, even in this moment, just silently just ask God just to yourself, God, give me the advocate. Give me this everlasting father. I'm not an orphan anymore. I have, a, I have uh, the everlasting father inside of me and it lives inside of me and, and, and it, will, it will produce good fruit and hope. Your father may not have been the best example of who God is, but the everlasting father will help you forever. I just want to speak directly for just a moment in this room to those of you who, who maybe had absent or, or abusive fathers in some way. And it's important that we separate God's character from an earthly father's character. It's important that we separate God's character from an earthly father's character because even the best father will fail a child at times. Some of you that are fathers in the room that are just trying your best, you know this. (laughs) That even the best father, even our best efforts will fail our child at times. But but what differentiates uh, our identity as Christians is that instead of saying we're victims because our father treated us wrong or was absent or our father father did this to us, therefore this behavior is okay or this is how I'm going to live forever, we are children of an everlasting perfect father. And you may have suffered. I am not trying to minimize your suffering. Many of you have had horrific experiences and things that God's heart is so broken over. But you are not consigned to a future defined by your suffering. You are not consigned to a future defined by your suffering. God, the everlasting Father, has chosen you and given you a new identity and new hope. And I believe that we can expand our vision of fatherhood beyond what we've experienced into what God promises us to be true. That we don't have to limit fatherhood to our experience because God has promised us something far beyond what our earthly fathers can provide for us. Now, this will take forgiveness. This will take a great amount of faith. And this will take purposely unraveling your thought patterns about what a father is to you and what you are connecting it to the Father God. But it is not impossible. And it is imperative for you to do it. And I just want to say, I know we'll be offering another soul care class in February, and that is a great place to process through some of these feelings. If right now it's just stirring up inside of you what I'm saying, that is a great opportunity for you to get plugged in and just process some of those. Or find a small group leader or a pastor or a counselor and just start talking about it. Because your view or your pain from your earthly father may be affecting your relationship with your everlasting father. It may be. And if you don't get that healed up, 
you will stay at a distance a lot longer than you need to. And God wants to to undo that pain and that hurt and be the victory in that situation. You know, it's interesting, David in the scripture, he did a lot of incredible things for the Lord, but he was not a very successful father. If you have read much about his life, he was a great king, he was an amazing warrior, but he failed frequently as a father. And it reminds us that great people, great people can succeed brilliantly in some areas of life, but fail completely in other areas. And you may feel that way about yourself, or you may feel that way about your father, that, that he did, there are some things that he did so well, but there were some things that, that just really missed the mark. But it's interesting because David had a son named Solomon. And if you remember, uh, from, he had this son from his relationship with a woman named Bathsheba, and the circumstances weren't perfect leading up to the son. Um, he obtained Bathsheba through murder and adultery. Hmm, probably not a good idea, you know? And so he has Solomon sort of out of this very difficult relationship that he obtained this woman and, and, and murdered her husband and then, and then, you know, produced this son Solomon. But in God's profound grace... And God just, God's profound grace, he turns a story of sin and tragedy into a life-giving picture for an entire nation. Solomon becomes the most powerful and wise king to ever have lived. In fact, two weeks ago, I stood inside a temple that Solomon himself built, and it's still standing in Jerusalem today. That is how powerful and wise Solomon was. And to top it off, from the lineage of Solomon comes the Messiah. From the lineage of David to Solomon comes Jesus, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. Your father may not get the father of the year award but your everlasting father can rewrite any story. He can rewrite any story. And I believe in this moment, it's just showing us that the everlasting father can rewrite any story. And he has, and he will, and he'll do it again. He will do it again. Where's Gary yelling that out? Here's your moment. (laughs) So it's interesting Uh, Some people might get confused in this passage and ask the question, well, how is Jesus the son and also the father? You know, some of you theologians kind of get that rolling around in your head. And I want to encourage you, don't get too deep in the weeds on that. This is a name for God. This is the mystery of the Trinity that affirms there's one God who manifests in three distinct or separate persons the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father is not the Son. Son is not the Spirit. Spirit is not the Father, but they are all one God. Um, We're not supposed to understand it. (laughs) It's one of those powerful, miraculous things that takes faith to just accept. But Jesus is not called everlasting Father because there is just some confusion about the nature of God, the Father, and God the Son. Jesus is called the everlasting Father in this passage because of his Father-like qualities. 
He, he is called this because he is still God's son, but his love and his grace is that of a father with a child. So one author asked this question, and it got me thinking this week. What was God doing before creation? Do you ever think about that? What was he doing before he decided? Because he, he lived forever, so he's always he's eternally existing. So before he decided, hmm, I think I'll make earth, and then all those animals and all those people, and I'll do all these things. What was he doing? If God were mainly a creator, then it would mean he would need creation to define him. So if there was no creation, how would he be God? If he, if he were mainly a ruler, he would need people to, to rule or something to rule over to make him God. If God were a judge, same idea. And each of these titles are accurate descriptions of God. He is creator, he is ruler, he is judge. But they fail to show us God in, in the essence. It more shows what God does. And, and each of them depends upon something else to be in the equation for us to call him that. If we call him creator, it's because we see something created. If we call him ruler or judge, it's because he's doing that. So we must ask, who is God in himself? Like at the very core, who is God apart from anything else? Who is God at the very center of who he is? What was he doing before he created the earth and the heavens? And we can find that answer in Isaiah 63, 16. It says, but you are our father. Through Abraham, though Abraham does not know us or Israel acknowledge us, you, Lord, are our father. Our redeemer from old is your name. And so the biblical revelation of the Trinity begins to unfold in this moment. He has always been father, son, and Holy Spirit. So God doesn't need anything but himself for this to be true. So before there was anything, there was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the everlasting Father, who eternally has loved his Son and his unceasing fellowship of the Spirit. This is who God is. At the very core, at the very essence of who he is, God is Father. That, that's who he is. He is Father. And according to um, the Jewish Talmud, when a child is weaned, the first word that a child learns to say is the word Abba. Everyone just say that, Abba. Now, Abba means daddy or dad. It's this kind of warm expression. Or dearest father is actually one of the most literal translations. And it is this form of affection and intimacy. And it's, it's the thing you call your dad when you just crawl up in his lap and, and, and you don't want anything. You just want to be with him. It's, it's that name. Now, it's interesting because nowhere in the Old Testament do we find the term Abba used in addressing God. Um, the, the Jews were uh, very pious, and so they had this gap. They didn't want to use a familiar expression to God. They wanted to, uh, it was a very serious relationship between them and God, and they were following all the rules, and they wanted to make sure they were holy. But when Jesus comes, and he's praying in the garden, of Gethsemane, just before he's about to go to the cross, if you remember what he calls God, he says, Abba, Father. He uses that intimate name. He says, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. 
And in that moment, in using that expression, Jesus spoke as a child would speak to his father. And it reflected this intimacy and this trust that just characterized his relationship with God. It, it showed it so clearly that, that Jesus didn't come to him and say, I would like to make a petition. Please, this is what's going on. Here are all my evidences. <laughs> He didn't stand there and, and use his, his King James voice <laughs> and say it really seriously. He said, God, I'm your son, and I'm right here, and I need you because this is hard. And, and this thing you're asking me to do, if you could take it from me, I'll do it. But if you could take it from me, that would be good. Because I'm, I'm, I'm scared. I'm nervous. I, I'm having to face this situation. And he speaks to God in this very intimate, fatherly way, and he says, Abba, Father, Please hear me in this moment. And in Romans 8, Paul reflects sort of back on this moment when Jesus says this in the garden, and he addresses us. He addresses you, and he addresses me. And it says, the spirit you received doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And this is saying that the Holy Spirit, the everlasting Father, stirs up inside of us and allows us to cry out, Abba, Father. It allows us to have that same intimacy and that same closeness that Jesus had when he was crying out to God in the garden. That same closeness... I love how we sang this morning, let heaven come. <laughs> let heaven come so close that we can just reach out and say, Abba, Father, right here, it's like I'm talking to my dad and I'm asking him for the most intimate thing. The scripture says that that spirit is aroused in us, that God our Father is our Abba. And the essence of who God is, is, is to be our Father. And the Holy Spirit in us compels us and closes the gap inside of our heart and allows us to have that relationship with God in that way. It's so interesting when Jesus instructs us uh, what we should do when we meet God, he says, when you come before him, call him Father. Call him Abba Father. You know, the angels can't call him Father. Only born-again believers can call him Father, only saints. The angels tremble before him. They don't have the same privilege as being children of God. The scripture says that we have a very special privilege being his creation, of being allowed to be adopted into sonship and cry that out. It's interesting because literally hours before Christ goes to the cross, he kind of has this public statement and this last invitation. He kind of sums up his ministry, and he says, look, I'm calling you to a supernatural lifestyle of loving God with all your strength and all your mind and all your heart and all your soul. I'm calling you to that. And we see that in Matthew 22. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on to these two commandments. And the reason that God calls us to love him with all of our heart is because he first loved us with all of his heart and all of his strength and all of his mind. That the everlasting father, the Abba father, the one that's been father forever and will never stop being father says, I love you with all my heart, all my strength and all my mind. Think of the person in your life that you love the most. 
that, that you, just, you just have the most love for. Abba Father says, that feeling, that emotion, that deep love is only a part of how much I love you. He says, I love you with all of my heart, with all of my strength, all of the mighty God's strength, and with all of my mind. And God is not inviting us or commanding us to do something that he doesn't do. He is saying, let's have a reciprocal relationship. I love you with all my heart, mind, and soul. Is it mutual? Will you love me back? I'm giving you the opportunity to love me back with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. Many times as Christ followers, we try to live in obedience without the connection to Abba Father. And I think when that happens, you don't feel the love of God. You don't understand the love of God. The love of God isn't motivating to you because you, you aren't in, in, embraced or invested in it. And so your obedience becomes rote. It becomes, um, okay, I'm going to go because that's what I'm supposed to do. And I'm going to read my Bible because that's what they tell me to do. And... I'm going to go show up and serve in the nursery because that's what she tells me to do every week. <laughs> and, and here we are, and we just kind of do it. And the love of God isn't central to your story. You aren't letting the love of God write your story. And honestly, I believe there's a problem in the body of Christ right now, here and as a whole. And it's called spiritual boredom. It's called spiritual boredom, that there are many believers who love God in the general sense. You would say you love God, you love God, but you are spiritually bored. The word's bored, prayer is boring, your spirit is dull, but you have become so accustomed to it that you just kind of decided that you're going to just live with this dull spirit until someday something miraculous happens. Maybe somebody will ride into town and, and fix it. Maybe you would describe yourself as spiritually bored. Maybe you would even say, I'm trying, but it's just, it's just not interesting anymore. I've been doing this church thing for so long. Maybe I should go to another church. Maybe I should listen online. Maybe I need different worship music. Yeah, you know, we sort of have all of these things that we try. And in fact, it does not go away when I start preaching better, okay? <laughs> it does not go away when the worship team picks the songs you like. That is not when spiritual boredom goes away. It goes away when you decide that you cannot live without a greater experience of the Father's heart. It goes away when you decide that you will receive the truth that the everlasting Father can rewrite your story. When you decide that you are going to find the Father heart of God, that you are going to stir up inside of your spirit that cry for Abba Father, and that no matter what, whatever it takes, that you are going to get there. And you're going to do everything possible to allow your spirit to be stirred up so that you are not stuck in this obedience-based um, motivation where you do it because that's what you're told to do. You do it out of this cry of your heart to get close to Jesus. That's when your spiritual boredom will go away. I believe that was the secret of King David's life. And, and that's why God allowed the lineage of King David to bear the Messiah. That was the secret of Mary of Bethany who sat at the feet of Jesus. They made it their preoccupation to feed the cry in their spirit, the Abba Father cry. They made it their goal. 
In fact, uh, Psalm 27, 4, uh, King David says, this is the one thing I do all the days of my life. He, he locked into this. I behold the heart of God. I behold the Father heart of God. I behold the heart of God. The worship team is going to come up to close us today. And as they get ready, um, I want to just finish us with this last scripture. And it comes from John 14. And this is what it says. John 14, Philip is speaking and he says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Show us the Father. And that will be enough for us. Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. He, he is speaking that, that that Father heart of God, as soon as we understand it, as soon as we lock into it, it will change everything about how we live our lives to serve Christ. So would you stand? And that is going to be our prayer today for these last few minutes of our service and so as a worship team, you guys can start when you're ready. And I'm just going to pray this prayer. But as we're singing this, I just want to invite you to come worship the everlasting Father in this space up front. There's nothing magical about it. There's nothing extra spiritual about it. But sometimes when you eliminate distractions, sometimes God says, just take a step of faith. Just take a step from where you are. And that changes everything about it. And you know what? If we want to be done with this spiritual boredom, when God tells you to do something, you got to do it. Like that's step one. And so I want to just invite you to come, even now, if you would come, let's just sing this song together. It's called Good, Good Father. You know it really well, but it just fits so well with our everlasting Father. Just lead the way. Come on down. Let me pray for us this morning. This is going to be our prayer today. Father, show us who you are, and that will be enough, God. Just say that to him. God, you're enough. You're enough. You're everything we need. You have no rival. You have no equal. All your promises are good and all your promises are true. Lord, we want to feed the cry of our spirit that calls us to you. God, we don't want to ignore it anymore. We don't want to be spiritually bored. God, this Christmas, we want to know you as the everlasting Father, the one who created a way that we would know you, God. We know that our fathers haven't all been perfect, that there are wounds in this room, that there is pain from people that have experienced fathers that have failed us. But God, we know that you have closed the gap. And so I pray right now that healing would begin in these hearts, God, that the pain that have, even they have held would turn to victory, God, because we know that's what you do. You change things about who we are, Father. You rewrite our story, God. And we just declare this morning, would you start with ours, God? Would you start with mine, Father? Would you rewrite our story, God, because we trust you. And we know that before the beginning of time, you were Father. And at the end of time, you will be Father. And God, all you want is for us to just connect with you. And we are just, just in awe of the everlasting Father, God, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And God, we trust you today. And it's in your name I pray, amen.
God, we just thank you for the fathers that you have brought to many of us that have been great examples of who you are. And God, I, I thank you, Lord, that many of us understand who God is from our Father, and we just, we just give you praise for that. And we do thank you that you fill all the gaps. And so God, today, for those of us that didn't have that experience, Lord, or those that are struggling through, or for even those today that are wanting to be a father that reflects who God is, but it's such a huge task. God, we pray for your grace upon that. And Lord, I pray that they, everyone in this room, God, would remember and repeat to themselves and to others this week that the everlasting father can rewrite any story. The everlasting father can rewrite any story. And God, we thank you that you are able, that you are willing, and that you want to. And so God, we give you praise. We thank you for this week leading up to Christmas, Lord. We pray that it will not be a spiritually bored week, but God, that you would do amazing things inside of us and we would receive those. God, we wanna be different. We wanna be changed. And it is in your name we pray, amen.